Unlike Chris Fagan in the coach's box, we're relaxed and having a great time here on the Raw Deal with another great win under the belt. Today on the show, we're beyond excited to be joined by Triple Premiership Lion and Brownlow medalist Jason Akamatis to ask him this very simple question. Where does Will Ashcroft's goal stand compared to his many great moments? And if the big four Victorian clubs are Carlton, Collingwood, Richmond and Essendon, we've ticked off 50% of the list that's uh, this season with Saturday night giving us the chance to take it to three quarters of the way to a clean sweep. Plenty coming up here on the Raw Deal. Mike Whiting joins me as always and... Uh, look, our Victorian listeners are gonna are gonna really get stuck into me for starting like this, Mike. But winter has hit Brisbane, hasn't it? It has. Yes, we had a news meeting on Monday morning, and someone asked me, "Oh, what's the weather like up there?" I said, "Cold," and they said, "How cold?" And I told them, and they were surprised. But it, it's <laughs> genuinely cold, even for Victorian standards. I think today. Well, where are we at at the moment? We're recording on a Monday night this week, a bit later than usual. What do you reckon the current apparent temperature is? I like the apparent temperature. Oh, I just walked twenty it minutes to get like- here, so I feel a bit warm with my hoodie on, looking <laughs> really suspicious. Um, <laughs> maybe twelve, eleven. Yeah, twelve point six. Well done. Okay. You got yep. a gift for that. Picking the, te- yeah. the current temperature. Well done. Yep. A lot of time outside running and. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I reckon that was just about as interesting as our Greek mythology chat a few weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> we, boy. We got some deserved <laughs> feedback on that, didn't, didn't we? We did. We got slammed for that. <laughs> we hosted our first ever live Raw Deal event. The Lions have had a great win. Ak is on the way, and I've started with the temperature. That's uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, how well that's this right. podcast is going. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we are going to re- uh, preview Brad Scott's return to the Gabba with the Bombers shortly. Uh, look at one of our bigger fortune-telling wins for the season, um, which I, I you almost chimed in with me, but I did chime in. And we got a lot of questions to get through today as well, Mike. Why are the Lions using upside-down twos as the fives in their social media graphics? I have a, a definitive answer on that one from the club. Uh, could there be Raw Deal merch on the way? And uh, just how severe has this Jackson Payne slash Jack Payne mix-up become? Uh, all of that is coming up. Um, before we, we get to all of that, though, Mike, uh, I have to say plaudits to you, you have tracked down 2001 Brownlow medalist Jason Akimatis <laughs> to come on the show today, which is no mean feat. You've done very well getting him. It's been a bit of a mission, yeah. but we got there. A <laughs> man with many phone numbers. He's, yeah, it t- took me a couple, but we <laughs> I think we got there. Let's hope we get him on the line tonight. So, uh, yeah. Actually, I'm excited about chatting to him though. Um, yeah. It's been many, many years. I haven't had. I didn't have a lot to do with Acker because when I started this job, he'd already left the Lions. Was at the Dogs, and then of course, once players are out of the system, you don't always have a lot of reason to call them. So, looking forward to seeing what he's got to say. We've prepped him and told him to think about his favourite goals for the Lions. So I'm keen to hear what he comes up with. Yeah, that'll be fascinating. It's interesting, you know, because I would have been what, eight years old, nine years old when the Lions winning these flags. So my memories of Acker are a bit vague, but every now and then I'll just go to YouTube, type in Jason Ackermanis, and there's a good 20 minutes that you can pass oh, yeah. just watching the back. Someone whose name I should have looked before I came on here, but someone messaged me after last week when we were talking about the best goals in Brisbane Colours and all this, oh, yeah. and someone messaged me and said, Jason Ackermanis, now I forget who they were playing, it was either Fremantle or I think it might have been Carlton and uh, I do remember the goal vividly and I'm sure a lot of people listening will remember this he took a couple of bounces a couple of right foot side steps and just banged home this goal from 55 at the Gabba on his left foot I remember it really as soon as this person replied and I read about a line of it I could picture the goal and I thought (laughs) you know what that should have been in there because it was just a majestic finish from an incredible player who if you are a Dom Fay of the world and didn't grow up with him, go and watch YouTube because yes. he's got a remarkable set of highlights. Oh, you, honestly, you won't see anything much like it really in the competition's history. Not um, just the two – I mean, we're t- 
we're wasting away good material. Like we can be pumping him up <laughs> when we speak to him. But just for uh, the skills on both sides of his body, had a such a prodigious left foot for a, um, a natural right footer. Yeah, and obviously an incredible, almost um, unparalleled talent for leaking to the media as well. <laughs> which he's not going to hear this. We can say that. Uh, that was obviously a big part of his career as well. And, and um, famously, most famously, probably the 03 grand final, leaking the news of Nigel Lappin's ribs, um, which, it, you know, 20 years on this year, and that is no less unbelievable, that whole saga. But I think Acker was just someone who who loved the vibe, loved the energy, loved to be in the conversation. And uh, but, but you can imagine in footy club environments. I mean, imagine how Chris Fagan would deal with that these days. <laughs> Could you imagine if Zach Bailey happened to leak out con- like info like that, what yeah. Chris Fagan's <laughs> response would be? I think we've seen it in the coach's box recently. Well, we yeah, I was just thinking about him in the coach's box on Friday night. Quite animated, wasn't he? Yeah. Old yeah. Fags. We saw the smile and the grin in the third quarter. I, I, yeah. I was it genuinely I was flabbergasted when I saw that. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. It's not something I've seen during a match at all. <laughs> and then like uh, back to the fourth quarter and he was anxious old fags again, so he knows what he's doing. Uh well obviously, Mike, you and I watched the game together. We realized this as we were sitting there, known each other over a decade now, but the first time we've ever watched an AFL game. We've watched preseason games or maybe intra-clubs together, but first time we've ever watched an AFL game together. Um, so before we get into any of what that event was, w- am I the sort of footy viewer that you expected me to be? Yes. Yep. <laughs> you, you, yeah. It, what you hear from Dom over the microphone here and on our podcast is what you get in person with Dom as a spectator. Very, yeah. you know, very positive, very excitable. Mm. Um Vibrant. Often know. totally misreading the game and thinking Jared Berry's actually the one playing on Patrick Cripps <laughs> yeah. when it's Josh Dunkley. We, we let that one slide. Yeah, making okay. vast comments that, oh, what a game from Berry when I don't know if they lined up on each other once <laughs> in the game, but that's fine. Well, I, I've, I thought you were surprisingly emotionally invested watching a game with Mike Whiting. Well, I was probably, you know, you get you get a bit caught up, Dom. There's a We, we had a little... <laughs> Um, crowd is it a crowd? Yeah, you got forty odd. I think so. Forty odd, you know, Brisbane Lions fans. So it was, um, mm-hmm. yeah, terrific night. And I mean, geez, doesn't Mike Whiting slam the umpires? I've got to say, <laughs> got to say that in person. Actually, some of those deliberate out of bounds in the first half. You were, I did hear a couple of oh. And I thought that's probably as emotionally angry. Don't worry, as that, him that happens in the media box as well. Does actually. it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, it's, a, it's not <laughs> Suns chat, I know, but it happened at the Suns game on Saturday night between oh, yeah. Gold Coast and Melbourne. Just, I think it's anyone that watches the footy when you see a howler of a decision, yes. it's almost unanimous. You think, oh, and it's so it is such a hard game to umpire. It I'm is, not, yes. That's probably what makes these howlers stand out. You think, gee, they by and large do a really good job, but mm. when the howlers jump out, Yeah, it can be stark. Uh, Well, obviously, we did last Friday night, um, as about 38 of our listeners, you will know, because they were with us, uh, go to to the Taylor's Bar in Woolloongabba, literally across the road from the Gabba, backs right on to uh, to Gate 2 at the Gabba, basically. Uh, We we had the event there. Thanks so much to Dan and his team, um, Canvas Club, obviously the main uh, restaurant there, but there's also Mr. Badger's. There's there's the Taylor's Bar. I think he's got one other as well. I can't remember the name of that. I've, I've I've had coffee at Mr. Badger's a bunch of times. And stunning you know, canvas club and yeah. you know, tailors as well. So yeah, look, couldn't amazing. recommend it more highly if you are in the area and and put an amazing um, event on for us on Friday night. Uh, we had a lot of fun actually. Our Royal Medal votes, uh, Mike. Today I've got the audio from the night. 
that I can play out instead of us giving them again because we gave them live and one of our patrons, Justin, was there recording the whole thing. He sent me the audio. So you'll get a taste of what the night was like. I think Justin's also putting together a video. But Did you cut out the bit, my confusion, about how <laughs> what order we were going to read them out in? Yeah, we're up there with the microphone <laughs> celebrating the win and just didn't do the housekeeping of how we were actually yeah. going to read out the votes, but that's fine. Uh, I did cut that out for what it's worth. But look, the pizzas were great. Uh, I've got to say, uh, of the four cocktails, Dom's Delight was the winner, I reckon. <laughs> I did order my own cocktail, as did you. Um, how, how, how was the pragmatic fish? I liked it. Yeah, okay, I enjoyed good. it. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yep. Um, so the so- only real way to test that though is to have all four. And if I was to have all four, <laughs> I wouldn't have seen the four quarters out. <laughs> uh, well, look, it was so great to meet everyone who came along. Thank you so much to those who, who decided to come and spend the night with us. A bunch of people, uh, Emma Jackson, a whole heap of them who I've interacted with on Twitter for years, or, you know, on social media for years, to put faces to names. So good to, to put faces to names. Share yep. the experience together when, you know, having everyone high-fiving me, every Zach Bailey goal. and Yeah, Pat um, and Dingo, Derek. And I met, we got to meet oh, everyone, didn't we? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun. And um, and then obviously uh, I was getting ribbed a few times with Great Mark by Jackson Payne yeah. a few times. So we had a lot of fun there um, and we are planning to do it again later in the year is the, the short version of that. We'll wait for the fixture news, but, mm. but we're thinking, maybe the Collingwood or the Melbourne games. Uh, one of those, if not both, are likely to be a primetime fixture. And uh, assuming that, that Dan's happy to have us back, I hope he is. I think, well, I think we were good guests, so hopefully Dan will have us back. We'll do it all again uh, later in the year. So, so much fun. Uh, look, let's talk about the game itself, Mike. Um, the, the pressure, I think, was as good as we've just about ever seen from the Lions on, on Friday night. And I actually was reflecting back on it, watching the replay over the weekend, and I think it might be one of the most impressive wins of the, this this run. And the reason behind that is, you look at the plans that the Lions took in. Um, Jack Payne on Charlie Kerner, Harris Andrews on Harry Mackay, shutting down Adam Saad, the Ford pressure, um, Josh Dunkley up against Patrick Cripps. It seemed to be one of those games where every strategy the Lions took in was more or less executed to perfection. Yeah, it was. And I tend to agree with you. I haven't gone back game by game over the last four years, but in the moment, and maybe I was caught up in the moment because it was a fun night for us watching it with a bunch of other people and whatnot, but I, I thought it was a, quite a complete performance. Now, I know caveat aside, the last quarter aside, whatever, but there is mm. two good teams out there. The other team is allowed to fight back and play well, so yes, yeah. I'm not holding that any – I'm not taking any notice – not saying I'm not taking any notice of it. I'm not taking much notice of that last quarter. I'm not holding it against Brisbane, that's for sure. I agree with you. I thought it was terrific, and I'm – Becoming more and more convinced. I mean, I pr- predicted them to make the grand final at the start of the year, and mm. this was the type of football I envisaged. Like the the, it's not the peak version of Brisbane yet, but I think it's on the way, and it feels a more sustainable brand when it comes to playing the good teams and playing in the, you know, the, on the quote unquote big stage. Yeah, because there is that defensive element and that forward pressure, and we've seen it for a few weeks now. I. I've been really impressed the last month particularly. The It feels like – and I go to Charlie Cameron and I go to Zach Bailey and mm. I don't associate that with Zach very often. Um, or I, I haven't until this stage, but I feel like he's buying in Link McCarthy. I feel like these guys have – it just feels to me. Yeah. And I think hopefully for Brisbane it, it manifests through the rest of the season. We've seen it for a month or, or six weeks now, but that's the – that's the starting point for success for them. And Dunkley's added the defensive element in the midfield that you touched on. The the um, back half feels a bit more safe now. And obviously those forwards can play better next time. The, the Kerno Mackay, they might 
they'll they'll do their homework for next time they play Payne and Andrews. You know, like that's you're not always going to keep those guys to two goals, but the the whole structure does feel quite sustainable at the moment. Oh, I totally agree, and and I actually think the turning point in terms of the forward pressure. Uh, I can't remember, was it round three, four, five, whatever it was, probably four or five, I think, that we see Joe Danaher do a rundown tackle yeah. um, in the in the defensive 50 for the Lions. And watching that, I think everyone sort of sat, sat up and went, oh, hello there. What's, what's going yep. on here? There's an intent change. And that's been mirrored um, really across the team. We, we saw a couple of moments. Uh, Hippie had a slow start to the game on the weekend, but once he got into it, we saw him applying pressure and putting you know body on body in a way that yep. probably hasn't always been his trademark. So it feels like there is a, a real whole team buy-in to, to this mantra as well. It, it does, and it's the thing that I think we've, I wouldn't say harped on because <laughs> we we. we Probably had to keep things a little more civil in previous iterations of the podcast, but <laughs> certainly in our yes. f- first few episodes this year, I think the the thing that we were always looking for was that defensive buy-in across mm. the park. You know, we're not talking back six, back seven. We were talking across the park, forwards and midfielders particularly, and it feels like that's happening at the moment. Mm. And we know that Brisbane, if they, we know that their midfielders are good enough to win around the stoppages. Now that's improved again this year mm. like their work around the stoppages is incredible we know that there's enough flair and enough um enough avenues to goal that scoring shouldn't be a problem if they get enough of the ball and now they're creating opportunities for themselves turning carlton you know turning um creating turnovers against carlton and um, making them into scores so yeah it does feel like they've got you know a little bit more arsenal at their disposal now it, it raises a very big question that i want your thoughts on mike which is does a premiership tattoo look better on the my left arm or my right <laughs> arm, the shoulder? If you were going to go left or right shoulder, what do you reckon? Because I quite I don't. If I mentioned on the podcast before my deal with my dad on the tattoo, no, has this not come up before? No, right. I don't think so. So you oh. know me, and you've met my dad a bunch of times. We're both we're probably as uh, clean skin as you get, uh, Richard Fay and Dom Fay. <laughs> neither of us have tattoos. Have ever thought about getting tattoos? Just not really our go. Um, we're more the sit down with a good novel and a cup of tea sort of guys. <laughs> not that you can't do that and have tattoos. Just that's the way we live. Sorry, just uh, just reminded me of Chris Fagan saying <laughs> about beating a cup of tea. But yeah. <laughs> well, you can't beat a cup of tea. You know that. Uh, but I said to Dad years ago when the Lions were awful and it looked like it would never turn, I said, if the Lions ever win a flag and we're in Melbourne to see it, will you go out with me to like a dodgy tattoo parlor somewhere in Melbourne that night? doesn't have to be dodgy. Well, I want to go that <laughs> night. I just okay. want anyone we can find that night that's open at 10 p.m. I don't know if the good ones stay open at 10 p.m. on a Saturday. Maybe they do. I could find out. But will you get just a Lions Premier's tattoo with me? And Dad, and this is like 2016 when he was making a deal that seemed impossible. <laughs> you know, he's never going to have to catch this. You think this he in. was just amusing you? I think he was, but he agreed to do it. And so dad and I have often said to him, because, you know, and and a lot of people have this with the footy. They share it with a dad, a partner, a child, a friend. It's a real thing that's sort of shared. And my dad and I have been sharing this journey since 08 as members together. And so I kind of feel like the idea of getting a Lions Premier's tattoo with my dad, it makes me laugh so much, which is kind of why I really want to do it. Um, but but I, I, quite seriously, there is a there is an element to the game plan we've seen in recent weeks and that stood up again against Carlton where you think, yeah, this is a team that looks pretty complete now. There, there's no glaring holes that you can see. There's no, if you shut down this player, they can't find a way through. Um, in recent years, it's probably, and you wrote that great piece about Lockie Neal, how it used mm. to be shut down Lockie and, and you kind of can shut down Brisbane. But right now, I think it would be a nightmare as an opposition coach to come up against Brisbane. It, it's looking like a, 
a pretty thorough list now. It does. Um, I was thinking back to the, probably the only other time I think they've had a, a patch that – I mean, I don't want to go too early, but, I mean, mm. uh, Brisbane has beaten Collingwood and Melbourne this year already, yes. who are, I think, universally ex- – um, well, they're in the top four already, and yeah. I think most pundits expect them to finish in the top four at the end of the year or, or two of the mm. premiership fancies. So they beat them relatively comfortably. They've beaten them well yeah. um, at the Gabba. Of course, it will be nice to see them – um, you know, challenge those two and or Geelong away from home because ultimately if they want to win a premiership, they're going to have to win it at the MCG. So mm. that's probably the, the next challenge when that arises. But maybe the middle of 2021, there was a six or seven or eight-week block. Then we saw Brisbane playing dynamic footy and that felt like, oh, this, this could go somewhere. It didn't pan out that year. Now we know things can change and, of course, I do not, of course, I don't want anything like this to happen, but two or three injuries can change things. That Harris Andrews, particularly, as I think he's still probably the most important player in the team. Um, but, but in terms of all that aside, everything being equal, it does, it does feel like to me that it's a, a brand of footy that can challenge, mm. you know, the last couple of weekends in September. And and you go back to after round three and the doom and gloom after that Bulldogs match. It, it does show. We should also remember this in the good times how quickly things can turn. The other one, hundred percent, Dom. Yeah, they turn yep. very very quickly. However, I um, you've noticed a strut in my step, haven't you, Mike? From my big prediction after round three, it was yeah. doom and gloom. Mate, and, you should too. <laughs> and I said we're going to win the next nine. Yep. And I got some of the tweets that I got that week. Where, where I would almost call that they were borderline mocking um, people saying, Dom, where's do you at least have a dose of reality in there? But my sense was that, that Brisbane were a good team and they were okay against a Bulldogs team that was fighting back, but that, that things would be okay. And we're five games into that nine-game winning streak now, um, four of them to go. And, and honestly, you'd have to say the Lions look odds on to do that nine-game winning streak now. You know, I was thinking on the weekend, I'd love to go back and hear my reaction to that <laughs> because I know when you first hear nine in a row, your first reaction is, oh, yes, like, come on, Dom. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. sounds so far-fetched, but I think obviously that was starting with Collingwood, mm. which that at the time that was – a. I mean, and it still is a huge scalp. That's the first, you just think if you can get past that one, yeah. then once you rattled through the rest of the teams, I think it was, well, it's not inconceivable. It's still four wins away. It's yes. just hard to string this many weeks of good footy together. But you're right. Things do turn quickly. Saturday night's not going to be easy. And I don't just say that because I watched that Essendon Port Adelaide game yesterday and mm. Port Adelaide eventually rolled over the top and Essendon's good kicking kept them in it. But they were really impressive, Essendon. Yeah, yeah. Really impressive. Yeah. They can mo- they they were good around centre bounce. They move the ball quickly. They've got some speed. Like they're a really dangerous team, and they're much much improved this year with a new coach in Brad Scott. So and they won the last time they came to the Gabba. They did. They did. Yeah, yeah. They did win that year. Uh, that time. Sorry. Don't, don't worry, Mike. I have noted down. Do we touch on the anniversary game <laughs> of the Whiting Fagan? Conversation post Essendon game. It's in my notes. We'll get to it later. You can give me a no comment if you want. But you're right. We'll get to Essendon in a moment. But you're completely right that they are they are not going to be an easy win. 
Um, they have been incredibly competitive against the best teams in the comp this year. Almost beat Collingwood, did beat Melbourne, almost beat Port, um, did okay against Geelong as well. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of others in there as well. Only lost to the Saints by 18 points. I mean, th- this is a team who have been very strong in every big test they've had. Yeah, they have. They're a dangerous team um, that might be underselling them. They're a very good team. Yeah. Um, missing a couple of key players, including Jordan Ridley from the weekend. That's a big, big loss mm. um, for the Bombers. But this is all to say that it, if Essendon was to win this week, that shouldn't change our opinion of Brisbane. You yes. can't have... A couple of players down one night, and it only takes five or six guys to be down on any one night for an opposition to beat you. But generally speaking, I've really liked the brand that Brisbane has played in the last month. And yes, it hasn't been since defeating Collingwood, it hasn't been a murderer's row of opposition. It's been North Melbourne and GWS who are very competitive, and Fremantle who are struggling, and Carlton who are like, you can look at them and say, well, Brisbane should win all those. But to me, it's the it's the way they're winning. Yeah. It's the pressure. It's the dominance around clearance. It's the good balance between attack and defense. There's something you players coming back into form like Bailey, McCluggage, McCarthy, guys that had question marks three or four weeks ago. They're all the pieces. Yeah. They come together nicely at the moment. And we're only a third of the way through the season, but it feels like it's heading in the right direction. It does feel like something is more trustworthy about the Lions than it has been in recent years, maybe. Um we've always spoken about David Noble's comment when he left the club that uh, that maybe we were just a bit too emotional as a, as a playing group and needed to move beyond emotion to be a bit more clinical. Well, I think the last little while's felt clinical. Um, you know, so so that's that's a, a positive sign, especially when you're needing to rack up wins at this stage of the year. Uh, well, Mike, it is time to don the tuxedos uh, before we leave this karting game behind and give our votes. It is the Raw Deal medal. Uh, we did give these votes live after the game on Friday night at the Taylor's Bar at our live Raw Deal function. Uh, I have the audio of that here, Mike. The people who are in the room with us already know these votes. For everyone else, this is where we landed. One vote is going to Charlie Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. I'm going to give the one to Harris Andrews yeah. for this one. What about your two? Jack Payne. Yeah. yeah. Two for Jack Payne for me as well. And three, are we in agreement that the three goes, obviously, Zach Bailey. Um, (laughs) No, Josh Dunkley for the three, of course. Um, Now, I'll get you to talk a bit about Charlie in a moment. The reason I gave Harris the one and Jack the two is that was 47 inside 50s for Carlton in the end for uh, only 19 scoring uh, shots. Kerno and Mackay held to one goal each, which is just phenomenal. So Harris Andrews, I'm not going to argue too vehemently there. I was, I was this close to putting him in as well, but I thought Charlie Cameron just helped uh, take the game away in the third quarter. So I thought when Brisbane put the space into the game, he was really important. So that's why I gave him the one. Bit of a sample there of what the event was like. And, and Justin, as I mentioned, who did film the event, is going to put together a couple of minutes sort of video package of the night. So can't wait to share that around. It was a fun, fun night. You can feel the joy in the room there, can't it you? It was. It was happy times, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> wasn't uh, it? good good for you to get Zach in there. Yes. I know it was clearly a joke, whatever, but <laughs> had a very good game, Zach. Didn't yeah, he? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't near the votes realistically because I think the guys that we – of course, I think the guys that we, we <laughs> voted on were the ones to go with, but mm. he was he was excellent, Zach. But so many good performances and um, 
Yeah, great to see that, uh, again, it just continues this trend, and I know that Josh Dunkley's got the three from both of us, deservedly, for an incredible two-way performance. Yeah. Um, but a couple of key defenders, a small forward, like where it's it's – well-balanced this year, the raw deal medal, isn't it? There's oh. votes coming from every part of the ground. Yeah, they really, they really are at the moment. And I think um, the, the interesting thing about Jack Payne's performance, and we touched it a little bit on it on the night itself, but this is a player who, you know, if Darcy Gardner and Marcus Adams are fit, probably is still playing in the, the VFL. And yet on the post-game coverage, I did hear Gary Lyons starting to throw him up as all-Australian form <laughs> for Jack Payne. So it, it's it's been a pretty meteoric rise. Uh, hopefully people will start getting his name right. We'll get to that a bit later He's on. He's on the radar now, Dom. He that's, is. that's the type of game Friday night yep. against the reigning Coleman medalist who was equal leader of the Coleman medal this year before. Yeah. Friday night, like that's the sort of performance that gets you right on the radar of, um, dare I say, the Melbourne media. <laughs> yes, yeah, and there'll be a couple more chances he'll get, uh, yep. obviously, in the weeks ahead against some some great key forwards, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, well, Mike, it is time now to uh, to welcome in our guest this week. Uh, it is so thrilling that the 8, 9, 10-year-old Lions, uh, Lions fan boy in me is, uh, is so thrilled to be able to say right now, welcome to the Raw Deal, Jason Akamanis. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Good to be here. Uh, we are just over the moon to have you joining us. We've got so much we want to talk about, but I'm going to start with the big talking point, the main reason we said we've got to get Acker on. Will Ashcroft's goal against Frio a few weeks ago, was that the best goal kicked for the Brisbane Lions? I doubt it, but it was very good. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. When I was at the game, I was calling for ABC, and yeah, just in midair. Not much to do. Just threw it on the right slipper on the outside of the boot. And man, that's uh, it's crazy. I've seen Daryl White kick a torpedo from that pocket. That a torpedo is generally going that direction and spun it through and got a goal. I kicked a couple on the left in 2004 from 60 metres, went over the fence, so pretty good. There's a couple against Geelong from the boundary, weren't too bad either. But that is, <laughs> so it was some goal. It was some goal. Certainly better than his dad, that's for sure. <laughs> 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 What's, I wonder what Marcus's most memorable goal would be. Yeah, it's a yeah. good question. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good know. question. Actually, Aka, we should ask you that. If you mm. looked at your premiership teammates and we told you one of them would have a father sign who'd go top one or two in the draft and be this prodigy, would Marcus have been your pick? No, definitely not. No. I mean, it's hard to know because cause you got like like Lynchy, Lynchy's kids, uh, you would think, would be a would be good. Even Voss's mm. kids, like it's sort of it, it depends on the wife's genes, I I would suspect, mm. because I'm not sure Peter Lynch uh, as an athlete, but I, I know Donna Voss was uh, a very good uh, BMX rider, for example. She was very good. And then my wife, unfortunately, she's uh, a very good rower, but the middle middle daughter got all their genes, which is quite slow. But the eldest one who's 18 now, very quick, very much like me, and he started footy very late. But the youngest one, Zoe, uh, she's incredibly talented. So she's got those skills and she might come through. But, you know, Charlotte had the, had the ability, but she just mentally didn't want to do it. So for Will and I think Will's brothers, mm. uh, a bit different but very good. And I think they reckon that the youngest, the daughter, is incredible. So hey, you got Lappins who had four girls who are all very, very good, but didn't quite make it for different reasons. So, yeah, you would never think that Choppers would be the one that would have had uh, the very first real father and son. But you've got you've got other things too that I mean, 
I think one of Voss's kids was sort of was there, but he's a bit skinny and, and thereabouts. But yeah, Casey, uh, you yeah. just never know, do you? You yeah. mix nah. all the genes up and you, <laughs> yeah. and you and, get what you get. And who knows what happens? Aka, we'll jump around a bit tonight, but let's um, we'll start with the current the current team. What what have you made of Brisbane's first? What are we eight rounds in now? Mm. How, how do you think they're going eight rounds into this season? Oh, this is the best list they've had since I played. They're twenty years uh, they have had a list this good. Midfield super. The best in the comp, very, you know, with with Will coming in, uh, with uh, you know Dunkley, Josh Dunkley coming in, um, with O'Connor coming in, like off the half back, you know, we got Rich and Zorko who are unbelievably great ball years, but obviously at the wrong side of thirty, but still very good. Obviously starting to get soft tissue injuries and a few other things, but when you can replace him with Kitty Coleman, who's a great, uh, fantastic use of the ball, user of the ball. And you've got the forward, the best forward line of the comp, really. When you've got the arguably the strongest midfield and the best forward line, then you, you have a massive show. And I think uh, the defence-wise, I've always said the the couple of things they need was probably a little bit more speed and skill. Like if you had Zorko, who's a bit younger, you know, and Kitty and these kind of guys, they just, they just sort of needed that O'Connor to to fill that void super quick and you know very hard to play against, very agile and quick. So. Where your Stasevichs and you know yeah yeah Harris Andrews, uh, they're they're a bit slow and you know they're good when the ball's in the air and Stasevich does a great job for a guy that's uh, quickish but not super quick but just so big he plays on bigs plays on spools so I think for the depth and what they've got this year this is their best list for a long time so they are in and should be thinking top four and and they're a massive chance for the premiership. If there was one player from this current list who you could poach back to to your team and play alongside in in oh one to oh four, who who would it be? You'd have Charlie Cameron every day of the week, probably, probably even like like probably uh, Joey, you know, like that backup big forward ruckman. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, how do you how do you put Joey in a lineup if you can't go second ruck as a full four when you got Arthur Lynch and Jonathan Brown? Like even though Brownie was quite young at that stage. I think he was 18, 19, 20 when we won the flag. So Brownie much later, you know, was even better. So, you know, it would, would be great to have Charlie because that speed and skill and, and goal nows, you know, in that kind of lineup, man, he would have feasted on a lot of goals. Aka, one thing that defined your premiership team, I think, was guys that would play their, play roles. You had, uh, you know, Craig McRae, Scott Brothers, um, Marty Pike, um all these sort of guys. And it's one thing I, I don't feel like the current team's had a lot of. It doesn't feel like they've had a lot of guys playing roles. Do, do you feel like that's changed a bit this year and that there's guys willing to maybe sacrifice numbers and do a little bit more for the team perhaps? Well, you're kind of seeing like Lockie Neal's probably gone mm. gone down a bit in possessions because he's got Dunkley in there that can win the hard ball. But Dunkley, you know, tagged Cripps last week and, you know, took him out of the game, got a lot of the ball himself, and that's the beauty of him. I think the role-playing sort of has gone out of the game a bit. Um, we sort of worked out that when we got beaten by Carlton, I think it was round eight, 2001, they just had – and we got well beaten. They just had a bunch of guys playing roles, uh, older guys playing roles, tagging roles, and all this sort of periphery players that weren't necessarily overly talented. So all of a sudden, you know, we give the Scott Brothers role, Sean Hart role, all of a sudden, Craig McRae plays at a high half forward and just has to make tackles. Like if he got eight touches and had a shot on goal and made, you know, six, seven, eight tackles, 
he did his job and we love we love what he bought. So there was there's no doubt that McGluggage and, you know, Barry Barry can be a stopper. Like they're they're guys that probably need to play roles. The, the sort of the guys that you know, you got your Zach Bailey who now can go in the middle, your Cam Rainers who can kick goals. Like they're sitting that like Zach's a bit more on the midfield and, and win lots of ball. Cam really should have been doing that by now. Like he sort of seemed to be a little bit on the edge of which role was best for him. And that's that's really something that they've got to sort of tighten up with. And probably McCarthy. Like he's the other one. He plays more forward. As um, long as he's bringing the pressure, I don't really care if he doesn't kick goals because his pressure and Charlie's pressure, like you can see the opposition, they, they start to get scared, get rid of the ball real quick, and and that's they're the type of thing. So I don't know if McCarthy's role is to do that, but there's no doubt when he's doing that, he looks like a much more lively player. Well, I, I want to ask you about uh, four of your former teammates who are senior coaches now. Obviously, Brad Scott, Chris Scott, uh, Michael Voss, and Craig McRae. If you had to pick one of them that you would love to have been coached by and, and play under, and the one you would least like to have been coached by and play under, who would they be? Uh, I mean, Craig and I, Craig McRae, uh, Fly, like we we were very close mates. He's got a lot of close mates. Fly is very popular, but I think uh, our friendship well, through all the years has been really strong. And I, I think with Craig, the thing about uh, Fly is he's, he's just such a he's a naturally funny guy, and I think he the way he delivers messages is really is really um, I suppose uh, you know you, you can accept the message with its bad and its good, but it's delivered in such a, a funny way. You know you've got an appetite for those messages. Um, you know Chris Chris really needs Nigel Appen. Like Chris is is very. You know, to the point, it's what we're going to do. It's your role. Go do it. You do it. You get a pat on the back. You don't do it. He says, why didn't you do it? But you need Nigel to sort of come in and, and you know, he's – I mean, Chris wouldn't be the coach without Nigel and, and Chris would tell you that. And I'm sure Nigel would never say that he's got any influence, but he's very much the relationship guy where Chris can be, you know, a good cop, bad cop. Uh, Brad, Brad, see Brad's uh, Brad's a good guy to, to be coached by. Like, uh, players play for him. He's uh he's a really good thinker about the game. He'll know how to win games. He's he's up with the the latest times of everything. Voss would be be the the one that it would be because I know him so well. It's probably the one like I would be challenging him all the time. Like I'm like, why don't we do this? We need to do that, you know. And with the Scott brothers and that, I, it wouldn't be like I got on really well with Brad. Chris was much harder to get along with. Chris was just injured all the time. So, so yeah, definitely to answer your question, Craig and Craig, I love to be coached by Craig. Um, probably not. I don't mind Chris if he's got knives. And uh, <laughs> Chris on his Chris on his own, it might be it might be a little bit of button heads. I, I reckon uh, he'd probably be the one. I'd hate to hear the message from the least. Acker, it is. Um, Brisbane's got Essendon on Saturday night, and we know that was the maybe maybe the most famous game in your era, apart from the grand finals, obviously. But the the if it bleeds game in two thousand and one, where you took down Essendon for the first time, the seemingly unbeatable Essendon at the time. Can you just take us – but you touched on that Carlton game there. That was, I think, a, a, two weeks before the you played Essendon. How did you – how did the team change from we got flogged by Carlton to two weeks later we can beat Essendon? What's the, how was the shift in mindset then and how did you evolve, you know, to from that team that got beaten by Carlton to this team that went on this incredible winning run? Yeah, well, that's easy. I mean, after we got beaten – that's that's when Lee just 
the penny drop. They've got role players. We've got guys who aren't playing roles and we need to give you roles, more specific roles. And so I did my hamstring in that game, not very bad. I played the next week, so even I couldn't save us. I think I did in the second quarter. But by the next week, we played Adelaide and it's one of the best games you'll ever see. Like it was high scoring. It had everything you want, lots of defense, but, you know, really hard to – Adelaide has such a great midfield in that era, you know, McLeod and Jarman, these kind of guys. Go and look at the goals in those games. Unbelievable. And we were on fire. They were on fire. It was a real shootout, really good match, and we just lost it. And then Lee sort of said, oh, well, it's an honourable loss. Like, we played much better. Like I said, Rolls didn't quite get there, but we're improving. And the thing about that game against Essendon, there were a couple of things. Lee, Lee in the last meeting, he put everyone's names up on the board as he does every time. And the opponent you generally have, and he's nearly always spot on. You know, you're playing on a wing and you're probably on this player and you're on the other wing and this is who you'll get. But he does something that, that he hadn't done before and he puts how many AFL games each player from each team had played. And Essendon at that stage probably should have won in 99, had that unfortunate defeat to Carlton in, in the prelim and then went on and, and won every game by one against the flooding Bulldogs in 2000 of a shorter season uh, as it, it, it finished early and they were unbeaten. And I think Lee's looking at it and we're looking at it and Lee was trying to really get us in the mood for a contest and he's saying, well, look at these guys and look at us. The experience in the AFL is nearly identical. And he goes, I don't think the talent's that, that much different. they got Hurdy, we've got Vossi, you know, and he, he sort of went along those lines. But then it just sort of struck him that that the scene in The Predator, you know, where everyone's scared and can't beat this this beast that is nearly unbeatable. And, of course, the ble- you know, if it bleeds it, we can kill it. He showed that that little that little uh, clip, which was was pretty eerie. But then Lee just said, "Look, we're going to find out tomorrow night if they can bleed." And we had the roles, and we had players ready to go. Uh, they were easier for us to match up on. We'd played them many times. We knew we could we could match up well against them. And uh, and the key was just to make sure we beat and won those matchups, and that was really how we went about the game. But, of course, during the game, we start getting on top, we're kicking goals, they're missing, it's close, it's, it's an arm wrestle, and eventually we get over the top, we win by 20 points. And I think the roles and then everything leading into us, actually, with the talent we had, was going to be better than what we probably thought where we were at, because I think at that stage, I think we were 4-4 four and four and then 4-5. Four and five. So by round 10, we were 5-5, five and five. but then, of course, we win the next 16 straight, but it was those couple of weeks of just developing those roles and then realising and beating the best. It, it all worked in our favour. And, of course, our game plan, which became even more get it forward, get it get it deep, get the defence under pressure, that's what really uh, sort of sticks in my mind about those couple of weeks that, that pretty much changed the course of that year. Well, one of the amazing things about uh, that game is it sent you on a, an incredible winning streak through to the grand final and beyond. And, and you know, we've spoken a little bit about the fluctuations that we see in the Lions and in teams at the moment that you can be up one week, down the next week. And, you know, the Lions last year in the finals looked incredible against Richmond and Melbourne and then just fell over against Geelong. What what was the secret to the consistency that, that your team was able to find where, you know, week after week after week, you're able to perform at that top level without having the, the dips back? Well, there's probably two things that make the difference. It was the age profile of the the team, 
I mean, the team come last in 98. So, you know, three years later, I'd gone from 21 coming last in the worst team in the comp to 24 and in my prime. And 99 was a good season. Uh, we, we had a few injuries in 2000. So we were progressing. And then 2001, two and three, when, when that we got to that period, I think the age of the players had, had moved into a, a far more consistent level. And then United through the really good players. The best and worst is gets much smaller and they get better and better. And when you're younger, it gets inconsistent. Look at Ashcroft at the moment. You know, he couldn't really get much of a touch at Marvel Stadium, but starts on the bench at home and he'll get 24 touches. So he's, he's really inconsistent on the road. So we just sort of worked out that also the, the, the key to that era was probably Dr. Phil Johnson and the profiling. So we, we really did a lot of work on each player, their profiles and then the similar profiles. Cause in, in footy clubs, you do get a lot of similar, particularly enforcer thinkers, enforcer mozzies. We had a lot of them. You never really get a feeler thinker. Like Nigel Lappin was the only player who really fitted a feeler thinker. We had a few Ruckman who were feeler thinkers, Clark Keating, uh, Bo McDonald and these kind of guys, Jamie Sharman. So, which is odd because the biggest players in the team are the, are the sort of the, the, the softest that they, they like to, you know, they like the loving and they like to feel belonging and all that. So I think that was the key. So you have the age profile and then you have a really, really, professional uh, model of psychology and when you put that together you know I knew what the next player was going to do it was more about wasn't so much just on the field it was off the field like you know players before games would be carrying on but if you knew their personality you, you knew that that they need to do that like Leper and Mel Michael would just be annoying because they'd be joking and carrying on but they didn't do that before games so they were never going to be right to play when Nigel Lappin and Marcus Ascroft, like you never talk to them before the game. They're just in the thinker zone. That, that's it. They, they don't want you. Don't want to talk to them. They don't want you to talk to them. They're just getting ready to what they need to do, and that, that, they're happy. And then out they go, and off they play, and they play well. So when you know that, yeah, you got a team that knows that. I know the coach. The coach knows me. I know all the the players I play with. It actually makes life a hell of a lot easier, believe it or not. Acker, I've heard obviously a lot of you guys from that era have. Um, spoken about Phil Jaunsey's role. When, when it first cropped up, how long did, did it take you guys to um, embrace the philosophies there and embrace the thinking of that? Was it something that instantly you're on board with or do you, do you need a bit of convincing? No, see, that's the problem because Phil was there when I started. So Phil was there in 90, end of 94, 95. So Robert Walls had him, never used him. John Norley had him, never used him. And Lee Matthews comes along. Now, Lee Matthews does a couple of things straight up. He changes the physios and the doctors, gets the best of the best. We've got some unbelievable physios and doctors. And then he starts talking to Phil and I think Lee, Lee knowing and being a previous coach, that this was going to be something that he could use to his benefit. And Lee would always, I think, over conversations over the preseason, uh, him and Phil's similar age, they, they certainly started to get along. Phil made a lot of sense to Lee. Lee started to realise, hang on, this is this is above my pay grade, but I think I need, I think we need this. And then you you, you saw Phil really just start to come in in 99 and really have a big impact on the players uh, and the, the then the support staff. And then eventually, like we actually got to, during the premiership years, like we did the profiles of the partners, which was very, very good. So that's how in-depth it eventually grew over time. And I think uh, to Lee's credit, and to Phil's probably frustrations, Lee was the first guy that saw his talents and, and utilised them. Like, Lee had already been successful with cricket and he was very successful with Wayne Bennett, like State of Origin, 
Australian teams, like he, he had all the credit. And unfortunately, you know, Robert Walls and John Northey just never saw it, but Lee did. And I'm glad he did. But it also, I think Lee would say categorically, without that, you know, at times he certainly would have done things that he would have done in the past that would have lost the group. Yeah, right. Incredible. Right. Yeah. Um, well, Mike did set you a bit of a challenge, um, Aka, coming onto the podcast today to think of your five maybe best goals as a lion. That that if we asked you for your your top collection of goals, what what might they be? Have you been able to to narrow it down to a list of maybe five? Yeah, yeah. So I think like the very first goal I ever kicked was an awesome goal. I had a mohawk at the time. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch this. Screen, it's, it's, it's very important. The very first goal I ever kicked, I was wearing number 35. We're playing against Carlton round four, 2000, uh, sorry, 1995. If you look at the screen, we're going to the right. I'm down just near the 50. I fake to go in board. I come around and from 50, just bomb a good goal. Like it, it doesn't seem important. It doesn't seem the best. There's more spectacular goals there are. Don't don't get me wrong. But the importance of that goal in the sequence of me becoming an AFL player to kick your first guy, 19 touches that day, it, it's a good start. So you got that one. There were two that I kicked against the Western Bulldogs in at the Gabba in 2004, and that would come fourth and third. One was heading right of screen. One was heading left of screen, both on the left foot. And uh, if you watch that footage, you ever see – I think it's in like the 15-minute highlight of a guy did, but you'll see both of those goals. They're both from 60 and they both pretty much went over the fence. A nice warm day. And the thing was about that game and those goals and why they were, they were important was I was I had a ham, hamstring was really was getting tight and it was worrying me. I'd go off. The, the Bulldogs would come back. It would get even. I'd come back on. I'd kick some goals. i kick four goals that day. Every time i come back on, I kicked the goal, and those two goals were important because that put us put us ahead, and we ended up winning that game. So they were very important goals. But the second would have to be probably the winning goal in two thousand and two, yeah. like a, the left yeah. foot snap yeah. in front of goals. And the reason that's an important goal. It's not a hard goal, but when you've got a, a, a tight, uh, sorry, a torn right adductor where you can't kick right foot and to kick left foot, I could hardly run. Like it was so painful. I can't tell you how painful tearing. Uh, a tendon that is literally supposed mm. to be attached to your pelvis half off the bone, like it was it was gone. It's unlucky because the weather was perfect for me and I love the wet and just mm. to kick that goal to win win that game, like it, it didn't make us win by the margin. Like it, it, it was the last goal we kicked and we, we won by nine points. If Rocker's goal was allowed, we would have won by three points. But either way, it was a very important goal, the most important goal you could kick. And then that the second one that I kicked, I kicked five this day against Geelong in 2005 in the wet, but obviously the second goal I kicked late in that third quarter. I just had a day, day 35 touches and 12 tackles and five goals. But those two goals, first one was good, but the second one, you know, running pretty much three-quarter pace as fast as you can in the wet and then uh, just getting it on the boot on the sideline to go through. That would have to be number one because – I don't think there's a person that hasn't seen that highlight. There's a guy in on the weekend. There's a guy on the weekend. This is true. I played in Gladstone against the uh, Yapoon. One of the guys from Yapoon kicked a goal in front of the crowd and, and did that reaction. So <laughs> he's a guy and he's he's a guy in his early twenties and he, he remembers it. So that's yeah. a pretty cool goal. That's it's an. I still look at that goal and think, yeah, how yeah. the hell did you do that? <laughs> um, I've got a couple of quick ones for you, Aka. Um, favorite position you played. Everywhere, just about on the field. 
ball Australian defender, midfielder, obviously an incredible half forward. What was your favourite position to play? I think I think uh, early on in my career, like I loved getting up in the midfield. So, you know, Ruck Rover, even though they're all the same now, like mm. just being able to run anywhere on the field. When the when the team's going well, I just love playing full forward. And, you know, it, when I, I was leading goal kicker twice, once the Brisbane, once the Bulldogs, when you get guys you can kick to you and you're a leading forward, I, I mean, I, I could mark over my head. That was probably one thing that they, that teams never utilised with me. I was very good overhead. I can jump. I can also go one-on-one. And because of my height, back in those days, it's always the bigger guy gets the ball kicked on his head. Mm-hmm. But if they did that more to me, I would have kicked more goals. But, yeah, I, I think uh, if it was just in any game, like even on the weekend, I was playing sort of full forward. But when I went up on the ball, like it was, it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. You can roam around and get involved and, and still get shots on goal. So I think, uh, yeah, if you have a favourite, it would be be a ruck rover. And just you mentioned with your goal, recapping your favourite five goals there, your left foot. You're famous for how um, incredible that left foot was, both prodigious and its accuracy. Like, what, ha, um, how did that develop to that level? I even forgot about 2002 goal of the year. It's not even my top five goal <laughs> of the year. So, is that the one I where think, you sidestepped um, a couple of times and then banged it on the left from outside 50 yeah, as well? Yeah, out of the middle. Yeah. yeah, I think it was it was Bo McDonald. They got a forward. I was the only other guy that touched it and. I got it and I sort of, you know, they don't argue and then faked around Hickmont and I was tagged by Franchina that day. He was right behind me, but I got on the junction with the 50 and, and the boundary line yes. and popped it through. 10,000 bucks, it's still 10,000 bucks. Obviously, inflation doesn't work in the AFL. It doesn't really go up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my, my left foot, my left foot and my right foot, like I could still throw both hands and I could ride both hands. Like it wasn't like I, I didn't use both sides of my body, but playing footy to me, I was always a good kick, but it was always about my, my coach, my very first coach used to say, look, if you can kick left foot and right foot and handball both, he said, you've got to understand, and this is important to me, that you, you can't really get in trouble on a footy field. If you get stuck on the boundary and you don't have a left foot, you've got to come back inside and that's when you can get hurt. And so for me, and not having a dad like my coaches were, my dad said, I was just like, yep, that's me. So since I was seven, every training session, uh, and for a, for a long time, my left foot, particularly short and medium, was was better than my right. And until I broke my ankle on my left foot, did it suffer. So it was always the same, left foot, right foot. And by the time I was 12, like I wasn't a big kid. I was still quite skinny, but I had enough power and speed to kick it from 50 at, at 12. So, mm. you know, that that training, just constant training. And even when, even when I go to train in the AFL, nothing changed. Like lane work. Every second kick was left foot, mm. right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. I go out and kick goals. I kick them on the run. Set shot, I always kick right foot just because, you know, you got to pick one. Mm. Sometimes these days I'd kick left foot because you can snap around the corner and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, that was it was just practice. It really was. And uh, what about if, if you were playing in the modern era, Aka, and you had to pick a goal song at the Gabba, what would your goal celebration song be when you, you snapped that one through against the Cats? Yeah, I mean, my favourite song is probably California Love from Tupac, you know. Oh, but yeah. you could you could chuck in you could chuck in Sandstorm from The Rude, like you could chuck in. There's so many songs. <laughs> you could you could you could you could chuck in John Denver. Thank God I'm a country boy. Like you do whatever you want, but it would be it would be uh, pretty up tempo. It won't be slow. There won't be any of this crap the boys have got at the moment. Fitting. <laughs> are they born in the nineties? They're playing eighties music. 
At least, <laughs> at least we can all sing along to Charlie's and he kicks off the goals. But, geez, the boys have got to get better with their taste of music. Well, I've been saying to Mike, this is a bit of a mission of the, the Roy Deal podcast where you want one of the players to pick the old Bears club song, Dare to Beat the Bear, as their goal celebration song is a nod back to the old days. Would you, would you enjoy hearing that blare out when uh, maybe a Will Ashcroft kicked a goal? No, but you wouldn't even play that at funerals. For him, like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, is this something you leave over there? And talk about it? it was just happened. There was a club. Forget about it. That's a Terrible no, Dom. Song. Uh, that's I think a that's no. a no. Well, I'm going to keep pushing the campaign, Aka. Uh, look, <laughs> before we do let you go, I believe you're doing SAS Australia on Channel 7 later this year. Uh, pretty incredible cast. Yep. Can you tell us uh, about, um, I guess, what's involved in that and, and when that's going to be happening for you? Yeah, so I've already done that. I did that uh, so at the end of February, February 28th, last day in Feb, we went over. We went to Jordan, which is in the Middle East, and we went to a place. You actually fly into Amman. So you fly Brisbane to Dubai, Dubai, Amman, and then you drive. Well, I did. There's a, there is a plane that takes about an hour, but it's a, about a four-hour uh, drive down to a place called Aquaba. Aquaba's right in the Red Sea. It's quite nice. Just over, like literally a couple hundred metres is Israel and just down there a bit further is Egypt. So it's right on the Red Sea. And about 40, 45 minutes from there is a place called Wadi, Wadi Rum. So they've done the UK version. I think they're one of the American versions have done that. It's basically a army compound. They actually film it. The, the stretch of desert that we use is, is the same desert uh, scene that they use in Star Wars, where they fly over yeah, and they wow. go up into one cool. of the cities. So you can you can literally picture that. And uh, I look, it'll come out in September. I won't tell you much, but it was it was terrifying. It was yeah. absolutely terrifying. Mm. So there's a couple of things I tell people. I, I I tell the people what happened to me, but I, there's a couple of things. It's it's much harder than it looks. Uh, than it than it looks on TV, and they don't show you everything. And uh, it's. It's certainly, it's really, uh, I think mentally, like, it's way tougher than mm-hmm. anything you'll do. I think this season too, this season was really tough, really tough. In fact, I know pretty much all the cast, bar me, came back injured, you know. Mm-hmm. Blokes tore a peck off the bone, dislocated shoulder. Uh, one of the, one of the, which I don't think they'll show, one of the ladies nearly died. So, Jeez. you know, just, just fell from from one of the, she was supposed to jump into water and she she stuffed it up and she fell on the concrete. So, you know, that's, I think, I think SAS is, t- is way tougher, but I, even I think that the, what they did in this series, I think they went too far. Like it's, like the real SAS is uh, like, that. that's very hard. Like I can't even tell you some of the stuff they do. They're so way worse than what we went through. But mm. if you don't do a task, you're out. That's it. Mm. You're gone. And, you know, 263 people will start and they just whittle it down. And in the SAS, it's so brutal that they, they get off the buses and they one, one year they did like 30 minutes of push-ups and until someone said, I'm out. Do 12 months of training, I'm out. So that's, that's the thing. Like in this, in the TV version, you can basically fail and you can stay on. Mm. Where physically I had no problem, but mentally, you know, it was – it's way, way, way harder. And it yeah. was emotionally, it was like, yeah, forget about it. It was crazy, crazy tough. 
Well, Jason, so you'll see that. Jason Ackermanis and Anthony Mundine on the same show will be well worth watching, I think, uh, for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and I know we've got uh, we've got uh, Jake Anson listens to this podcast, Acker, who's involved in the redevelopment of the new Gabba. I, I had to ask before I let you go, if they're thinking a Jason Ackermanis statue as part of the new Gabba, and it would be well-deserved as, as one of the possibilities, what is your preferred pose to be captured in a in a statue? Is it the handstand? Is it the reaction after kicking the goal against the, the Cats in 05? If you got to choose the Jason Ackermanis statue, what would it be? Well, you probably, the handstand everyone would know, but mm. there's an action shot that I actually have uh, the rights to, that, that one of the photos which I use in my real estate uh, company. So probably that one where you're at, at full pell. But, you know, any time, any action shot with me just about to kick the ball is a winner. But they might, they, they'd probably choose the handstand because it is it is just as famous, but, yeah, it's it's gonna be amazing that that place. It's uh, it's already it's a bit old now, but the 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 new stadium and the Olympics and all that comes with it. I mean, fifty five thousand in there. Whew. Wouldn't you love to play in front of that? Yeah. I mean, it was loud when I played with thirty three and a half thousand. So it's it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, well, Aka, you've brought so much joy to so many Lions fans over the years. Uh, we, we are just so grateful to to spend half an hour chatting on the podcast and uh, and can't wait to see you on SAS Australia uh, later in the year. Hey, you'll enjoy it. Don't worry about that. It's entertaining. <laughs> All right. Thanks, boys. Oh, it's not every day you get to get to do that, is it, Mike? That was awesome. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Just that phenomenal. Was terrific. I've got to thank you for setting that one up. I'm stoked. I mean, we, we threw the idea around last week mm. and here we are having a chat with Aka. So uh, I feel like setting you a challenge on the podcast works pretty well, evidently. Yeah, that was that was great. I mean, obviously everyone knows Aka's pretty – once you get him talking, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's normally great value. But um, I loved hearing – back to the – I love hearing the stories from the premiership years and um, – the role, the the role playing stuff within the team, the mm. psychology with Phil Jauncey. Um, not a big fan of your dare to be the bear. Uh, <laughs> no, no idea though. <laughs> I, look, we got. I know one of our listeners is the the Brisbane Bear, the guy who's trying to keep the Brisbane Bears heritage alive. I think he'll be gutted to to hear a, a bear himself um, <laughs> yep. saying that we should forget the bears. But look, it, controversial opinions abound with Acker. That's always yep. been who he is, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, yeah, just a great chat. I hope people got as much out of that as I did because yeah. I'm sure we, a bunch of people, we've we've all heard Acker talk a lot in the last ten or fifteen years since he's been retired. But there's some new stuff in there. There were some great old stories that we heard, but we'd love to hear retold. And um, yeah, I I was smiling the whole way through that interview. So I hope everyone else out there was. No, I completely agree. Uh, well, it is time now, Mike, to turn our attention to the Bombers game. We've already touched on it, but. Last year, it was one of the weirdest games uh, when the Bombers did get the win. Um, obviously, COVID impacted Brisbane Lions team, but the whole day at the Gabba did just feel bizarre, maybe for nobody more than you. Um, <laughs> uh, for, for new listeners, there was a little bit of a, a Mike White and Chris Fagan interaction after the game. Um, I think everyone would agree that that Mike Whiting was the, the the team we're siding with in this one. It was an emotional coach and a very pragmatic, reasonable journalist. Does it feel weird to be coming to a Bombers game at the Gabba a year on? Well, I hadn't thought about it until – I mean, I did think about it on the weekend, actually, when I saw that – well, I knew that Brisbane was playing Essendon next. But, yeah, I mean, that was – yeah, that was a – it was a weird day all round. I remember it was a – Sunday afternoon, there was nine or ten changes, I think, to Brisbane's team. It was decimated by COVID. 
big crowd at the Gabba, but it felt a little bit um, uneasy for much of the day. And yeah, I thought, I mean, Brisbane had some reasons why they didn't play well that day. Obviously, there's a so many changes. I think there was a couple the day before the game or the day of the game from memory. Yeah. Um, and Darcy Wilmot was going to debut, but he got COVID himself. Yeah, so. that's right. And Carter Michael made his debut that day, kicked a great yep. goal. But continuity is obviously a problem there. But Brisbane was so flat in that first half that Essendon was just pinging the ball from one end to the other. And and obviously it was a um, tough day for Brisbane. They were in a bit of a patch at that time where they were win-loss, 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 and there was a little bit of pressure. And yeah, like, yeah, Fags was probably, I mean, I was a little bit critical in my match report and Fags, you know, he's got his, he was just standing up for his players, which is all fair and reasonable. He and read it pretty quickly, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> the fact he'd read it by the time he got down to the press conference is pretty, uh, pretty, it shows you how quickly he's on to AFL.com.au. Just, just a fan of my work, mate, that's <laughs> I all. I think he is. <laughs> I think he is, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that was all, you know, that's all ancient history now and um yeah it'll be it'll be great to go back on saturday night like it feels that feels a prime time saturday night um at the gabba i'm sure it's going to be another bumper crowd essendon always brings fans that's why it was it was, yeah, it was a yeah. huge crowd last year i remember it being a big big crowd but just a sort of a tense atmosphere at the ground because i think lions fans were uneasy with all these new faces and this mm. sort of cobbled together team that's not going to be the case this week it's going to be a pretty settled team i think well and with the lions with the lions flying with it being a saturday night game with the bombers seemingly resurgent with a a whole new dose of hope you i shouldn't have said dose that's probably a bit of a low (laughs) blow for the bombers i apologize (laughs) essendon fans um i could have said shot of hope but i didn't say either there we go we'll move on the point is you would think it's going to be a 33 34 plus thousand game again on saturday night so it's going to be a a buzzing atmosphere um uh, obviously one of the talking points is the the former bombers up against their old team, Joe Danaher and Connor McKenna, both um, having pretty strong 2023s. Uh, I wonder how, because obviously Joe's already played the Bombers. Connor hasn't Mm. had a go at at doing that yet. I wonder how it's going to be for him on the weekend because, you know, it's a bit of a weird scenario that, you know, the the Bombers didn't get anything for him because he leaves Mm. and then comes back. Um, sort of a, a a little bit a la Mal Michael going the other way many years ago. Obviously, that was an immediate switch, not with a, a, some time off in between. But I, I do wonder, as Bombers fans, if if there's a lot of hatred for for Joe and for Connor, or if uh, or if they've if there's a sense that they've moved on. I don't know. Yeah, What's your I, I, sense? Don't, I don't know either. It's difficult because obviously Connor left to go home and. Um, he went back home and played Gaelic for a while and now mm. he's come back to the comp. So I guess when they lost him, obviously you'd be happy. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. I would think you'd be happy for Con. Okay, mate, you're going back home. Um, how could you begrudge anyone doing yes, that? He played yes. such good footy for Essendon and he, and he was su- such a great story, but came back to Australia. Essendon was, you know, in the in the fray, in the running, I guess. But And, and Connor's decided to come to Brisbane and now they're playing. So I guess... I think you'd have a, a little bit of ill feeling. Mm. It might not be as as much as other players that change clubs, as much as a Josh Dunkley, for example, going back to face Bulldog supporters. But yeah, I think they'd be. I think they'd like to see him lose. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've looked into a, a few stats here. Now, um, obviously, uh, we know what Darcy Parrish can do as a midfielder for the Bombers, but I looked into his stat line for this season so far. It, it is extraordinary what he's doing at the moment, Mate, and he is a good quality player. And look, sometimes people like to throw, you know, jokes around about hurt. What do they say? Hurt. What's that phrase? 
hurt impact. I'm getting that all. Yeah, no, but I don't know what you mean. It's the it's the impact that players yeah. have with their positions. That's hurt impact is not a phrase. No, that's is not it? a phrase. What am I hurt factor? Is hurt factor a thing? Maybe not, or have not, I just not, lost? not that I know of? I just. No. That might be a is that is that a David Kingism in yeah, the war it does room? Sound like it, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, look, to be honest, Mike, I I've because it's a cold night, I made myself a cup of this Icelandic tea that I brought back with me from a tiny coastal town in Iceland when I was there over the the summer break. And I don't really know what ingredients are in that Icelandic <laughs> tea. So uh, maybe I'm not making Do, sense now. Dom did offer me a cup of tea when I came here. I said <laughs> no, but hearing this, maybe I should have said yes. <laughs> I did think, actually, I hope we have no Border Force listeners. I wonder if I should have declared this herbal tea that I got from Iceland. <laughs> I didn't. Anyway, that's all fine. Back to the Bombers game. Speaking of potential questionable substances, back to the Bombers. Um, so you look at <laughs> – I'm going to stop making low blows about the Bombers drug saga now. Uh, looking at Darcy Parish, so 37 touches against Port. 37 touches against the Hawks in round one, 35 touches against the Saints in round three, 34 against Melbourne in round five, and 38 against Geelong in round seven. That's five of eight games this year that he's had 34 or more touches, which is puts him in absolutely elite category. And I don't, as someone who's only watched a bit of the Bombers, I think any comment that he doesn't hurt you with the ball is so far from the mark. It's totally. I mean, maybe players get the odd I mean I know and that's a tag that's probably followed him for you know a couple of years at least last year mm. you know racking up cheap possessions a few one twos a few in the back half like that's still hard to get the ball that often you yeah. have to be and you yeah. look at Darcy Parrott what he is exceptional at is around stoppages his hands are so clean and so fast yes and I think I've probably watched the Bombers. I reckon I would have watched at least half of their games this year. I feel like I've got a reasonable grasp on them. And um, I don't know whether Brad Scott's – I'm not smart enough to know how, they've, how they're setting up differently this year or whether they're setting up differently. I presume they are with a new coach. But just whether it plays to his strengths more. But he seems to be it, – it's Darcy Parrish on the inside and hands to the outside. And mm. they've got guys that with speed that can take advantage of it. And he's lightning around those stoppages, I think. Um, he's definitely a watch. I mean, he's a huge yeah, watch. He's yeah. a huge watch this week. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see whether um, different style of player to Patrick Cripps, totally different, but whether Chris Fagan says, hang on, we need to stop this guy. Hey, Josh Dunkley, you're going to stand alongside him at stoppages mm -hmm. as much as you did with Cripps and try and slow him down. Do you know, my theory with players like this, because Lockie Neal had been hit with, for a couple of years with a similar tag. Yep. He doesn't hurt you with the ball, whatever. I think that if you aren't a Marcus Bontempelli, a Christian Petrarca, a Patrick Cripps, you know, who is getting – basically all you need to do as a midfielder, I think, is have five or six highlights a year where you burst out of congestion, you fend off a player, you kick a goal, and people go, you're elite even though the rest of what you're doing would look exactly like what a Darcy Parrish is doing. It's just about, did you give us the five or six highlights throughout the year? That's how we quantify whether you're that next level or not. And I just, I think the thing with Parrish is uh, you look at Essendon's wins and whenever they get a win, he is generally heavily involved. Yep. And that's how you know when, when he's down there, down when he's up, there, up. So I think he's he's one to be very cautious of. In, in saying that, Essendon are a very uh, high disposal team. They do pass the ball around a lot. They're averaging 376 touches a game, which has them ranked as the fourth highest uh, disposal team in the comp. Interestingly, Brisbane are dead last on that same list, 18th on average disposals, averaging uh, 336 touches, so 40 less touches a game with, uh, you know, we've heard analysts say it's a much more direct game plan for mm. Brisbane this year. But um, so, so it is a, you know, Essendon are a team that do pass the ball around a lot, which 
obviously, you know, maybe adds a couple of touches, but that that's 40 across the team. That's not giving Darcy Parish an extra 15 a game. No. It's maybe an extra three or four a game at most. No, you're right. And your comment on the midfielders is right. I mean, obviously at that level, we're talking fine margins about what's the what's the difference between Bontempelli and Petraka and, and Darcy Parish. But you're right. It's can this guy run five metres away from a stoppage and then dispose of it? Or can he kick 50 metres? Yes. And Darcy Parrish doesn't really do either of those things. And I want to clarify, if people don't haven't got this already, I'm not knocking this guy for one second. I think he's super high-quality player. He's just got different strengths. People bag um, questioned Tom Mitchell for years. Mm. Look at the impact he's having at Collingwood this year with his 20 or 22 or 25 disposals because – Guys that can win a hard ball and win clearances are invaluable. Oh, totally. They're invaluable. They, um, that's winning it at the source. That's <laughs> that's where a lot of game plans start from. Right, you got to win the ball. Right, that's what Darcy Parish does. Super critical um, player to Essendon, and I'm really interested interested to see how or whether Brisbane put as much attention into him as they did with Patrick Cripps last week. Totally different player, but can have a similar type of impact. Do you know, there is um, one other stat that I did find, Mike, uh, while I was looking through the, the stat. We want one of those deep dives on one of those stats websites. Do you know there's one stat that has Essendon on top of the competition this year and Brisbane on the bottom? Could you guess, if I threw that at you, do you have any hint on what that stat might be? It's a quirky one, so I doubt it. No, no. It is uh, bounces per game. <laughs> so <laughs> Essendon are averaging 7.5 bounces a match, where the lines are dead last with 0.9 bounces a match. So uh, that shows that Essendon are a bit more run and gun maybe, you know, whereas Brisbane probably, the moment you get it, you're I, getting it on the boot. I was just going to say, I would have assumed that whichever team Adam Sard's played for in the last eight <laughs> years would be top of that. Sardi bounces it after three steps normally. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point there. But, uh, yeah, not it's not many for Brisbane, actually. No. no, Not averaging one whole bounce yeah. a game. 0.9 of a bounce a game is what we're but averaging. I, I guess that suggests that it. there's been games we haven't bounced the ball. Correct. A number of at them. Le- at least one. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's a very weird stat. It is. Um, speaking of key players for the Bombers, we've touched on Darcy Parrish. Uh, probably the, the second most important player, if not the most important player they have, is Jordan Ridley, uh, their defender. Uh, he is out with concussion from the Port game, as we were just about to record. Mike, you did find out you're covering the tribunal for this, <laughs> this I, one tomorrow I night. I think I will be, yeah. I haven't been. <laughs> told yet so if my boss hears this um <laughs> before tribunal yeah i'm not i don't want to <laughs> but i'm expecting i'll have to yeah because yeah yep. jordan ridley was on the receiving end of a hit from junior rioli and he's been referred directly to the tribunal so yeah jordan ridley huge lot he's an exceptional player as well jordan ridley yeah he is and brad scott actually described him as the player they could least afford to lose um which, those kids those key defenders well and i mean i don't know essendon's depth well enough to know how they're going to cover but you, you look at brisbane's forward line it's a real challenge how, how you make up for that it is and i think the problem was and i didn't um read the full story today but zach Reed, who's a young guy that they drafted in the top 10 a couple of years ago, was coming back through the VFL and did his hammy uh, on the weekend. So he would have, I guess, would have been in contention to take Ridley's spot and, and, and now can't. So I haven't done enough homework yet to to see who might cover that. Be interesting, interesting to see how they use uh, Kyle Langford this weekend. He's yep. been backwards and forwards all season. And within the game against Port Adelaide on Sunday, he kicked four goals from memory against Brisbane last year, playing as a forward in that game at the Gabba. Really clever footballer, really smart footballer, but they might have to use him in defence. So keen to see how Brad Scott um, uses Kyle Langford because he's another 
mm. another critical player for the Bombers. Well, I did actually look into it, uh, and and the, one of the options they could do is if they do swing Kyle Langford back, one of the possible ins is a young key forward they've got by the name of Patrick Voss, who yeah. uh, kicked five yeah. goals in round one of the VFL and four goals in round two. Do you reckon you'd be tempted to bring a Voss in to debut on the Gabba just for the sake <laughs> yeah. of it? I reckon it, 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 it would, story, wouldn't it? It would just cross <laughs> your mind for the. I mean, imagine he comes in and kicks four or five, and they get the win. And the Essendon coach that wouldn't be going. <laughs> Past his radar, no, would it? of course Brad not. Scott, you know. Imagine giving giving a, a Voss a yeah. debut on the Gabba. There hasn't been a Voss <laughs> on the Gabba quirky. since Michael, I don't think. Has there been another Voss in the comp? Obviously, Brett, Brett played for another years, but yeah, I think he I retired think before so. Michael. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I don't think so. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on that one. But as a bit of a as a bit of a curiosity, you'd be tempted to to do it. Uh, let's look at the Lions team changes. Um, now, we we did say this obviously in our. Uh, Facebook live teams chat last Thursday that there was a bit of a surprise uh, with Harry Sharp and Noah mm. Answorth coming in. No Jared Lyons, as I suspected. No Dev Robertson, as you suspected. Mm. No Calamarchi. Um, no Jackson Pryor. Probably mm. a few names we thought might have been a bit above, particularly Harry Sharp. Yep. But watching how they play it on Friday night, do you expect them both to hold their spots? I do. Uh, I, th- I sort of think it's almost unfair to bring someone in for one game, mm. the team wins, and then they get dropped. Um Unless, of course, the experienced player that they came in for was coming back, which we're not expecting with Rich or Zorko this week. So, yeah, I think they should um, keep those guys in. Now, I'm with you. I I didn't think that's the way they'd go. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows I'm a huge Noah Answorth fan. That didn't diminish on the weekend by any – so on Friday night, I thought he did his job well. And Harry Sharp, yes, made some mistakes early, no doubt. Um and isn't quite as physical as other players. But I liked what he did the more the game wore on. He did a couple of nice things. We could see his running power. Um, what I really like about Sharp is his ability to get back and help uh, in in the defensive end. When a ball goes long and there's a contest, mm. who, was the, who was there first time, uh, first person there a couple of times to pick up the loose ball, it was Harry Sharp. So that's the sort of stuff that – that he brings first man on the spot to help out, basically. And, yeah, so he's got his areas that he needs to work on, but um, thought he did enough as the game wore on to justify picking him for a second match. Well, Dane Zorko has named himself as fit. He, he's expe- he's hoping to play. I heard that. I think it was maybe SEN that he said he thinks he'll be ready to go for the game. Uh, not the first time, though, that Zork has said that only to not be picked. Yeah, he's... He's a confident guy, He is Zork, confident. I was going to say, he's always optimistic and, and he knows his body really well and he's been through the... He's had these hamstring injuries before, so he should know his body really well. Mm. Um but that'll be up to the medical staff. We'll learn a bit during the week. But obviously, if he's available, he's straight in. He's a critical member of Brisbane's team. But uh, And I'm not sure who which player that would leave more vulnerable, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good question because it's hard to tell who filled which void in the team, mm. wasn't it? It was hard to tell watching on the weekend because initially I thought Noah has filled for Zork and, and Harry yep. for Richie. But then there were times Noah's down back and then yep. Harry Sharp's kicking a goal and you're thinking, who's filled There's in for who here? There's a lot of flexibility in that team now, isn't there? And yeah. that's a real credit to the coaching staff um, mm. being able to develop that over the past two to three years the the guys that can play half forward and midfield half back and midfield midfield and wing um yeah a lot of lot of different options 
Definitely. Have I told you my uh, slightly quirky situation with watching this weekend's game? I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you yet. Um, I don't want to sound like the elite class here, Mike, but I'm actually going to be in a corporate box on Saturday night, which Jeez, I know, I know. It's real. I've lost touch with, with you know, the, the average Lions fan, haven't I? What's happened to me? What's happened what, to you? Well, what's happened is I bought a Hyundai. I needed a new car and I bought a Hyundai through the Lions Hyundai rep, Kylie, who's brilliant. And uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. <laughs> and it's sort of a, she, she was hoping she'd get me a, a really great deal, but stock for cars is a nightmare at the moment. And so sort of as a thank you for, for the deal I did get and for, for me buying the car, she said, I can give you a corporate box. Uh, no <laughs> catering or anything like that, but I'll give you a corporate box. So I'm going to the footy on a, on Saturday night in a box, taking a few friends who haven't really been to the footy before to try to get them into it. So um, first time I've done my sort of lions evangelizing for a few years. Yeah. I used to do a lot of it, as you'd remember. So uh, hopefully the lions can turn up in the corporate box and um and you know win some <laughs> more fans over. Do you um well, no catering? Do you cater yourself? How does how does oh, that kind we'll of work? How do you get food normal. in? We'll get to go to the normal stands or whatever the normal food stands. I, the catering was a lot of money. It was going to be yeah. like a few hundred dollars, and I'm already Mate, giving these look, people a ticket so they can uh, pay for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so look, Dom, I don't know if you've been to the concession stand. That, that's <laughs> That's a lot of money as well, mate, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point, actually. That's a very good point. All right, well, Mike, it is time to uh, gaze into the crystal ball and do some fortune telling. Well, it's a very weird, spooky, eerie week on fortune telling when we've got something right. And this week, Mike, we were so close to a very rare double, uh, you and I both being correct. And we went outlandish last week too. It wasn't as if we went with conservative, you know, Lockie Neal to have 15 touches or something. <laughs> yeah. You predicted that the Lions would keep Carlton to 10 goals or less. Carlton kicked 11. Mate, I had a real head wobble at three-quarter oh, no. time. They had six. I know. Even late, it took till the last minute to kick the 11th. Oh, I was actually, I was dirty on that. Yeah, I can imagine. Because I, I know <laughs> we're getting to yours, which yeah. you nailed, and I thought, we are going to get a clean sweep here. It did seem that way. I was so dirty when we didn't. I thought the Lions would keep Kerno and Mackay to three goals or less. I think I initially actually said less than three goals and then corrected to three goals or less, but I would have been right either mm. way. Two between them, which... Um, gosh, I mean, I'm not a betting man and I don't like talking about betting much, but I reckon you could have got pretty reasonable odds on that before the game. I, Maybe I so. a couple of hundred to one or something along the those lines. The last two so, Coleman medalists. Yes, yes. <laughs> so just a, a, an amazing effort from from Harris uh, and from Jack, obviously, as well as the team defence. Um, it sort of makes me, you know, want to retire the segment. Uh, yeah, my, my yeah we're not going to get much better, are Not going to get better than that. But hey, look, we back up week after week regardless. Uh, so this week, Mike, as we look into the crystal ball, I'm actually going to comment on, uh, well, Jason Akamanis mentioned Cam Rayner when we were chatting with him. Yep. And he mentioned that Cam probably, bar that Collingwood game we saw in round four where he, he was absolutely exceptional, he's been quiet really since then. He's had a couple of good moments, but, um, you know, he probably hasn't been in the top 15 players um, a bunch of those weeks, certainly not the top 10. And we know he's capable of being in the top two or three um, in the team. So I know Cam Rayner grew up as a Bombers fan. Uh, and, you know, I, I just have this sense that, this might be a week. Saturday night, back at the Gabba. Um, this might be the week that we see a big game from Cam. So I'm going to say 20-plus touches and four goals or more. Oh, big Cam one. Rainer. Yeah. So I think he's going to have Similar a Similar to the Collingwood game. Yeah. I think he'll have yep. a blinder on Saturday night. And uh, and I think we're going to be singing Sweet Caroline uh, over and over again on, on Saturday. Well, I'm going a big night for Hugh McCluggage. Yep. I liked what he's done the last couple of weeks, just steadily, steadily getting better. I think he's going to have a big night. I think this is the breakout game for the season for Huey. I think he's going to have 30 and two goals. Mm, amazing. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think, yeah. I just Against like the team done. that could have taken him. 
They could have, but they took Andy <laughs> McGrath, who's a fine player, but I think Huey's done a bit more in his career to date. Yes, I agree with you on that. Well, hopefully uh, we do see um, the 2016 and 2017 drafts combining with McCluggage and Rayner having big nights on Saturday. Uh, look, Mike, we're, we've gone long today with Acker, but we've got to get to a bunch of questions. I keep pushing them back, so I feel like we've got to at Let's least address some of them. them. Um, I also wanted to touch a little bit on Chris Fagan's statement about the Hawthorne racism scandal, uh, which, uh, for those who haven't seen, Fags put out a statement effectively saying that I think you could hear his frustration that he has been keeping the confidentiality while reporters keep on reporting about this. Um, you know, it was the Essendon game last year, Mike, that you were briefly a journo he didn't like. I reckon you're right at the top of the list of journos he likes now because <laughs> there's a bunch in, in Victoria he maybe isn't quite as fond of. Um, but but it's it's one of those situations now where it clearly hasn't derailed, impacted the team at all, which is wonderful news. But um, for everyone involved, it's, I just think they need to find a way to some sort of, if not resolution, some way to at least not even park it. That's the wrong phrase, but it shouldn't be playing out in public like this. Progress it? Yeah, progress it. Get, maybe get the something word. happening? Yes. Like if, if Fagan and Clarkson haven't been spoken to by mm. um, the review yet, like that's we're a long way down the track here. This was... yeah. Uh, grand final time like yes yeah. this is <laughs> we're almost halfway through the next season so it's just a it's a mess for everyone and obviously there's, like there's nothing we can add to the conversation really no you can you're right i guess it was chris fagan's frustration which i understand um for sure like this is a seven or eight month process and we don't feel like we're any further along no that we're any close to having anything resolved so i get his frustration so hopefully for everyone's sake everyone involved that it progresses yeah. and gets resolved quickly and i will say i've i have liked on the whole the maturity of the footy industry that chris fagan mm -hmm. and clarkson while this is ongoing have been able to coach have been able to do their press conferences um, I think on the whole, it sounds like the media and you've been at more presses mm. than me, but they've respected that, you know, Fags might give a brief comment, but but then they will move on. They don't continually hound him with it. Um, I think he's been quite good in, in that he's actually answered to the best of his ability yeah. those questions, which does help the process. But I have thought it's, it's shown on the whole a maturity in the footy industry that we've been able to do that on the whole. Yeah, it has. I think you get that. I think maybe the first time he spoke during preseason, or if Fags has probably addressed it a couple of times, to be honest. So, mm. and same as Clarkson when he rocked up to North for the for his first press conference. I'm sure you sort of get the, you just get their reaction, initial reaction, and how they're handling things and what they're going through and where it's at. And then, well, there's not much more to ask yeah. really yeah. until more information or until this. Um, yeah, I guess until we find out more information about the. Um, investigation. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else to ask. Yeah, no, there isn't. So, well, let's move right on then. Let's, uh, do it. let's, really, get, let's get to some questions. There's really nothing else to say on that front. So, uh, let's get to some questions. Look, we're not going to be able to get to all of these unless we go for three hours today. So apologies if I don't get to your question. I promise you that you are still on the list. We're going to have to have a mailbag we are. edition. <laughs> we might have to do might that at some point. Might be a special edition. Yeah, maybe we will yeah. do that. Uh, please do keep sending your questions in, though. We promise we will get to them all in time. Uh, just, uh, you know, we keep having these great conversations, Mike, and I look down and it says an hour and a half, and I go, oh, dear. <laughs> we need to start moving things along here. Uh, we will start, though, with Gus, who says, hey, guys, hope the live event went well on 
Friday. As a Melbourne-based listener, it'd be awesome to have you here to do the same thing. But rather than have it in a finals week, when I'm assuming the Lions will be playing, what about picking around when the Lions are playing in another state, maybe round 11 in Adelaide or round 21 in Frio, for example, then Victorian fans get the same experience. It's an interesting point, Gus. We weren't thinking of doing a watch party in Victoria, to clarify. We we're speaking if the Lions have a Victorian final, which all going well, they, they should do, uh, maybe more than one, certainly the grand final, obviously, um, that, that we would do an event the day before or a couple of days before. We'd find a guest and we'd do a live podcast down in Victoria. Um, the, the watch party is an interesting idea. Uh, I don't know if we'd get down to Melbourne for a watch party. I mean, it's an interesting one because the big games the Lions play in that aren't in Melbourne are at the Gabba, and we'll be up here for those ones. If it's a big game in Melbourne, then we'd be in Melbourne for that. If it's a big game elsewhere, well, there's not really many big games elsewhere. No, I mean, I guess you might. it might be a Brisbane versus Adelaide in the – I don't know even know if they play. I'm just throwing up an example here. Brisbane yeah. Brisbane versus Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval playing for a top four spot or something. Then you'd have a big game interstate That's or Brisbane, Brisbane versus the Swans in Sydney, mm. um, you know, playing for a top four spot or something. Then you've got a, a big game elsewhere and it could be a possibility. But normally just um, like from a work perspective, if there's yes. Brisbane's playing away, it normally – despite this really weird season of fixturing. It normally <laughs> means Gold Coast are playing at home, although yes. they're not for the next seven weeks. But they're, they're normally playing at home and I have to be here to work that. Yeah, but but keep uh, be but yeah. rest assured, Victorian fans, you are absolutely on our mind. We're we- frothing to get there. Oh. It'll be amazing to do a podcast. A live event down there, a we, live podcast. Yeah, we cannot wait to be down there with you. And, and trust me, if the Lions win the flag this year, we'll be doing something the next day. We'll be the the, the party that you're going to get down there with yeah. us. Trust me, it will it will outweigh any of this at the moment. So, um, you know, and hopefully a bunch of the Brisbane fans can be down there with us too. But we will we, keep looking for opportunities. If people have ideas or suggestions, let us know. Um, but but we'll keep you mo- uh, posted on that. Uh, we'll move uh, now, Mike, to Beth, who has sent through. When are you guys finally going to get around to making some Raw Deal merchandise? I would love to rent the Raw Deal on a t-shirt or a hat while out and about. Uh, what do you think of Raw Deal merch, Mike? Beth just brings a smile to my face. <laughs> Never even thought about it until tonight. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It feels a bit self-indulgent, which isn't really our, well, I don't. it's certainly not my cup of, <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> I will say this. Someone did contact me, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was early in the year saying they, they make merch and things like this if we'd ever want to look at it. And at the time I thought, does anyone want merch for the Royal oh, no. Deal? But, <laughs> yeah. but maybe, look, I'd be open to- I'm A thinking, one of one for Beth. Yeah, maybe we make something for <laughs> Beth. If people would like to wear a Raw Deal shirt or Raw Deal cap, if someone knows merch stuff, get in touch. Why not? That could be a good prize to give away, yeah. Mike. Um, uh, I, I'm, what about this? A Raw Deal cheese board. Get you through any bad losses. <laughs> it's not bad. So you can put your <laughs> wheel of brie on the raw deal cheese board. That's got potential. Yeah. We can look into that. And then, and then go for a 5K run to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the Part two. of the package. That's it. That's what we both bring to the table. <laughs> yep. um, Sean says, sorry if this question's been answered previously, but can you guys find out what is up with the Lions media team using an upside down number two in place of the actual number five? This can be seen on the big screen at the Gabba and on Instagram and Facebook posts. Now, this is a remarkable... Have you heard about this thing bubbling away? No, I haven't, no. This isn't the first I've heard about this from... from uh, Sean's... The, it's first from Sean, but I've heard about this from others, that the Lions, anytime you see a graphic come up that has a five in it uh, on social media or, you know, the game, it is quite clearly not a five. It's an upside down two. Now, uh, Sean, I did ask questions about this. I spoke to people in the Lions media department. What I can tell you is you're right, 
it is an upside down too. They're aware of it. They've noticed it. Um, but an external company created some branding for the club that they use as a bit of a style guide and they kind of, I think for contractual reasons, there's no real wiggle room. So they've got to use what they were given. So I think that's the story behind it from what I'm aware. Oh, An anonymous God. person who is occasionally around the Lions media team passed that on to me. I won't dob them in. Um, but but that's the that's the basic news. So yeah, you're correct. Your eyes are right. It is an upside down too every time you see a five. And at the moment, the Lions uh, contractually have to keep using it, which seems a bit weird to me. But um, anyway, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you know the footy so team must be going pretty well. <laughs> When you when you're unhappy about upside down twos, yeah, that's like true. seven years ago, we're up, we're unhappy about the fact we're losing by eighty points every week. And <laughs> I mean, imagine back then thinking all of the other problems will be resolved: new stadium, new training and admin, great on-field success, star players, good membership. But oh, that bloody five! <laughs> <laughs> but the Josh Dunkley number is <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But no, Sean. So that's the answer on that. That's front. well spotted. Yeah, very well spotted there. Uh, and uh, what we might do, Josh said, Dom, has anyone ever told you that you sound like Jared Waitley? Do you, do you notice that? Do you, is, there, is there a nasally- Who, who, said, who cadence, said that? That was Josh. Sorry, Josh, I don't hear it. You don't hear it? No. Is that just because you don't want to be the Robbo? <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to be. No offence to Robbo. He's had a very- Oh, he's. I'm, sounds like I'm retiring him off. He's had a long, distinguished career as a journalist, and mm. I've probably achieved about one tenth of what he has. But and he's had some health battles, right? He has. He has. And it was good to see him. Uh, genuinely, it was good to see him back on the TV last week. We did catch 360 a couple of times last week and saw him on there. So it's good to see him back. But no, I don't think me and Robbo are cut from the same cloth. No, I, I don't think so either. No. <laughs> I don't think so either. Me and Jared, not too far. We're, not too. We're far, a similar no. cloth, Jared and I. You've I got think. to probably expand your vocab a bit. Yeah, to, that's to meet true. Jared, he's, that's true. He's, Quite verbose. But I think you'd be equally surprised to see a premiership tattoo on my shoulder and Jerry <laughs> Waitley's shoulder. True. So yep. there is truth on that one. Uh, and uh, lastly, before we get to the Jackson Payne fast wrap up, Sammy says, hi, Dom and Mike. Really looking forward to this week's pod. Just hoping you didn't expend all of your energy, wit and observations at the pod function. Uh, you might have to repeat it all for those who couldn't go. I'm interested in knowing how you all handled the Channel 7 commentary. It seemed like even Richo was finding BT a little bit much. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, this is part of the the downside of being a good team is you, you're just going to get the Friday night commentary team a lot. And, you know, we were spoiled for years when when it's Bruce McAvaney and Dennis Cometti as the, the two-hander. Like, you look back at those years and you go, gosh, we didn't know how good we had it. I think... um. I do sense that there is a public tiring of BT a little bit. It's just, I think you, you could work with BT if he was an offsider on the Saturday Twilight game or something. But I just don't know. I, I just don't know how long Channel 7 can commit to him as the main guy behind the mic. But I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy watching him, but he does miss so many big moments with his calling. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's starting to annoy me, if I'm honest. A little chiseler doesn't yeah, um, doesn't work for you, Dom. <laughs> oh, it's just there's there's moments in games like imagine, and we're gonna have it if we win the flag this year. But if you if your teams won a flag in the last few years, forever the footage you have of that is BT commentated. He's the one who captured that moment. Compared to the years previously, where it's Dennis, it's Bruce uh, at Channel Ten, it might have been Stephen Quarterman, Anthony Hudson. Yep. Like there are years where where that moment has been captured mm. so perfectly by the commentary team. And I just don't know if they're there at the moment. So anyway, I think we're all with you on that one. Uh, before we get out of here for today, Mike, uh, we have become the Jack Payne, Jackson Payne tip-off um, line. Boy, and isn't it running wow. rampant? 
Wow is all I can say. So for those who, who maybe are just tuning in for the very first time, I pointed out about a month ago on the show, well, maybe not even quite that, no, three weeks ago on the show, ago, yep. that, uh, that I was getting a bit annoyed at the amount of people who were confusing our current key defender, Jack Payne, with former key defender, Jackson Payne, who came from Collingwood, played a few years, left at the end of 2016. So often we were hearing Jack Payne called Jackson Payne, which his name's not Jackson, it's just Jack Payne. It's really straightforward. It's really simple. Now, I was letting it slide until I heard Luke Hodge do one, and I brought that to the show. I can't believe Luke Hodge, a former teammate of Jack Payne, did it. And uh, we did ask you to send in any Jack Payne, Jackson Payne mix-up you heard. It's almost a special episode on its own. Well, (laughs) I'm just going to fire through this as quick as I can because this is is genuinely outrageous. Like, I don't think – I honestly don't think this guy's been called Jack Payne once in the last last week. I think every reference of him has been Jackson Payne almost. So, firstly, thank you to Olaf, Alira, and Cameron. They were the first to send through Jack Rewalt on AFL 360 uh, last Thursday. Here was uh, Jack Rewalt's mistake. Who would you put on him? Uh, I would probably go with Jackson Payne, I think, uh, on Kurnow, and I would ask for Andrews to, to come across and help, yeah. And Alira says you'd think that being a fellow Jack, Jack Rewalt would have got it, but evidently Good not. Point. So that was where the weekend began. And then uh, shortly afterwards, maybe an hour afterwards, I'm alerted to, I'm sorry, Mike, afl.com.au, the match preview with Nathan Brown. Oh, mate, that's I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking offence at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Aaron and Andy picked up on this one. Uh, this this was the, the next one from Nathan Brown. That's where the game is won and lost. you got Kerno, you got Mackay, Harris Andrews and Jackson Payne. So this is going to be a massive contest. How do you see it? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. We're not done yet. This is someone who you have a connection with, Mike. Damien Barrett. Oh, Damo. Damien no. Barrett no, on Triple M. Damo, I go. I stick up for you so much. <laughs> Saturday, Rob. Saturday morning on Triple M. Now, CK, Peter, and Go Lions all sent this one through. This was Damien Barrett. And obviously, Jackson Payne. Now and playing, Jackson um, Payne. Yeah, huge yeah. Billsley. That was Jack. Oh, that was. And then Billy. Billy double Billy? down. Gee, Billy Bradless oh, double down. Damo. That's so, gutting. And, and you might be thinking, wow, that's awful, but at least it's done. No, not done yet. Sam Edmund on SEN on Friday morning. Pat sent this one through. Here is Sam Edmund. I like this text. I'm not a moniker, Sammy, but I'm excited to see King Charles kicking snags tonight against the Lions. Will it be Jackson Payne, the much-improved Brisbane defender, assigned with Charlie Kerner? And minutes later, <laughs> this happened on that same program when a caller called into Sam Edmund. Yep. I think either McKay or Kerner, if they're on Jackson Payne, I think they'll both do him, do him over. And Baz, it's Jack Payne. I called him Jackson earlier too out of habit. It's Jack Payne at, at the Brisbane Lions who, who might just be, I think Chris Fagan admitted this during the week uh, or last week, the most improved player on Brisbane's uh, list. So I like that. That's a little bit of a sign of hope there from Sam Edmonds. Did someone message us about this? Yeah. So, uh, the, I think you might be right. I think the One inf- of our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I reckon the inference was that Sam Edmund might have been alerted yes. by one of our listeners. <laughs> and this is what we need to do, people. That's if, great work if that's right. This is, we are, as I said last week, Mike, we are stamping this out of the game. If you hear a Jackson Payne, let us know, send it through to us, and also tweet the person and just say, Jack Payne, Jack Payne, Jack Payne. Because th- we have to step, if this guy's going to be an all Australian key defender, Mike, we've got to get his name right. This is. Anything that happens from now on is five times as bad because he's yep. just kept Charlie yep. Kerno to one goal. Yes. He's been on Friday night footy. He's got a post-match interview. He's got eight coaches' votes. Yep. If you're still ballsing his name up now, yeah. 
you've got big problems. I will say, actually, I did hear from someone connected to the Payne family, the Jack Payne family, that is, that they're grateful for the work we're doing here because they're just, I mean, like anyone, imagine imagine someone you loved finally breaks into the AFL and all of the shows are calling them by the wrong name. Imagine how annoyed you'd get. Especially the parents. What I know. Name him Jackson. <laughs> So, look, this is our mission. We're going to keep it going. Any Jackson Payne reference you hear us, send it through. It's actually, it does make me laugh. One of the um, guys that I coach for running, his name's Jackson, but then when he's at races, he keeps getting called Jack over the PA system by the commentators. And, and his dad, who I'm very good mates with, says his name's freaking Jackson. <laughs> That's it. The parents made that yep. call, so you yep. got to respect it. So, look, uh, right now our list does stand at Luke Hodge, James Brayshaw, Jack Rewalt, Nathan Brown, Damian Barrett, Bill Brownless, and Sam Edmund at the very least of all run with Jackson Payne. It's an outrageous list, Mike. That's that's in two weeks. Yeah, that's just phenomenal. So we're going to keep going. We're going to stamp this out. Thank you for joining us as always. Uh, we'll see you next week as we prepare for uh, the first Q Clash of the year. Please send through your Jackson Payne moments and uh, we'll catch you then.